Chapter Seven of Seven Autumn Leaves from Fairyland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Evan Smith. Seven Autumn Leaves from Fairyland by E. Cunningham. Chapter Seven. Black Sneed. On a coast of Africa called Zanzibar, there was once a boy of the name of Sneed, as black as a piece of charcoal and as mischievous as any ten white boys rolled into one. The family lived in a palm-tree grove, with a palm-leaf shed backed up against a rock on one side and a brook of clear water from the hills on the other. Sneed could climb like a monkey and run like an ostrich, and these two accomplishments saved him from a good many whippings for he always had some piece of mischief to atone for, and a good acacia stick with the thorns on stood ready at all times for use on his tough little back when he could be caught. At last everyone began to get tired of him. The family toes had been tied together in their sleep, the donkey pads had been stuck with thorns, salt water instead of fresh put in the coffee pot, all once too often and this family of black folks made up their minds to sell him and get rid of him. A stout old uncle who lived in a neighboring grove, and who thought it possibly a little discreditable to sell one's near relation, called to discuss the matter, and a family council was held, upon which Sneed looked down from a lofty palm-tree, where he had been sent to pick coconuts and to be out of the way. The old blackie was arguing Sneed's case with great gesture and grimace, when plump came a small coconut down from on high, and striking his woolly head, pitched him into the middle of the circle on his nose. It was, of course, Sneed's work, who could not withstand the temptation of his venerable relative's convenient situation right beneath him. This convincing proof of his unfitness for civilized life settled his fate, and the next morning an Arab slave ship, happening to come coasting along, he was sold for a measure of coffee-beans, and carried off, never to be seen by his affectionate family again. The little ship went coasting along, picking up likely slaves here and there, and Sneed now found out what hard work was, and how very little a black boy could live on. He had soon attracted unfavorable attention by trying, when no one was looking, to cut the halyards of the mainsail with a sharpened piece of iron, and his masters after that kept him out of mischief by keeping him at the oar. As for food, it looked as if they meant to try the experiment of his living on a day-to-day -day they brought his allowance so low. The small bark, nothing more than a large boat, was beginning to be crowded, when one afternoon, as they were coasting along the shore of a desert-looking island, a violent storm came up, and they were in great danger of foundering. The slaves were set to work bailing, and all was in confusion when Sneed, who could swim like a frog, slipped overboard and took his chance with the waves. Nobody even observed him, and after a hard struggle and with a good deal of salt water in him, he reached the shore quite exhausted. He lay on the sand till morning, and then began to look about for something to eat and drink. He had evidently come to a bad place for that. On all sides was sand, nothing but sand. It ran up into the hills inland, it bordered the blue sea as far as he could look on either hand. He climbed to the top of a hill with some difficulty, for tough as he naturally was, he was reduced to weakness by starvation. When he got there, he was rewarded by the sight of waving tops of trees, apparently growing in a hollow or valley among the hills. 
He staggered and crept along with just enough strength in him to reach the side of the pool that filled the bottom of the hollow and gave life to the grove of trees that surrounded it. Water was plenty, and a broken coconut only half-eaten lay upon the bank, and that was quite enough to bring Sneed's hardy little body round again. He looked about and found that though the grove was small, there were both coconut and date-palms, and plenty of fruit upon them. He had just concluded that there was no one to eat it but him, when he saw a large white monkey sitting among the branches, watching him. The monkey looked at Sneed, and Sneed looked at the monkey for some time, when the last got slowly down, and walking up, put some dates on the bank beside Sneed, without any other sign of friendliness. He sat himself a little way off, with a very composed face, while Sneed ate the dates. Sneed had never seen a white monkey, and as he ate, he was wondering how such a white hide felt to the wearer. After a while the monkey came nearer, and began to stroke Sneed's back, and they were soon sitting side by side, each making the most of his new acquaintance. Sneed quickly recovered his strength and activity under the easy circumstances he was now in. He found the white monkey very friendly and sensible, too, as far as he could judge by actions, for he could not speak a word. They went together over the island, which proved to be half of sand and half of steep and jagged rocks, without water or plant except in the hollow, which, having a bottom of clay, held the rainwater and so gave nourishment to vegetation. This friendship continued unchecked until one hot noon, when the monkey was taking a nap, Sneed, the while, sitting idle by and wishing there was something to do. He had not satisfied his curiosity upon the subject of the monkey's white hide, and now he wondered whether his blood was red, and whether indeed he had any. A large thorn lay convenient, and Sneed began to experiment by thrusting the thorn into his thigh. There was blood, certainly, and plenty of it, and it was red, too, but Sneed had very little time to think about it, for the monkey, jumping hastily up, seized him in his strong arms and carried him up on a high rock so smooth and so steep that Sneed couldn't get down, and there he left him in the sun on a little point just large enough to sit on for two whole days and nights without anything to eat or drink. The poor little blackie nearly died, but it was a very good thing for him, for when the monkey brought him down again, quite senseless, and poured some water down his throat and got his eyes open, Sneed considered and made up his mind not to prick anyone ever again. So he and the monkey lived together like two friends a long while, and little by little, and with great pains, the monkey learned to talk after a fashion, which was a great comfort to both, and Sneed found that his white friend was very clever, and knew a great deal that had not been learned on that island. He would not say a word, however, of what had happened to him elsewhere, or how he came there, though he listened to Sneed's account of himself with interest. Sneed, who had a lively imagination, of course made himself out to be the son of a king who had been stripped by his brothers and sold into slavery on account of his many virtues. The white monkey winked hard during the story, but Sneed couldn't tell whether it was to keep his tears back or because he was sleepy. How long they would have gone on contentedly in this lonely place, it is difficult to say. But before they had become discontented, they were forced to leave it in such a sudden manner that their very dinner, plucked in the morning to save work in the hot noon, remained to spoil or be eaten by the ants. 
They were on the shore looking for shellfish when a rowboat full of black thieves came round the point, pounced upon them unawares, tied their hands and carried them clean away. After two or three days in the boat, where they were well kicked and cuffed and fed short, they came to land at the castle of a grisly old giant, who was a magician as well. Here they were sold to the giant's butler, who was constantly needing new hands, so many were killed off by hard work and cruel treatment. The white monkey, who now pretended he could not talk, was put into the garden to work, and Sneed was made houseboy and had to carry water and clean the rooms. Now this disagreeable giant had, locked up in a stone room in his castle, a beautiful princess whom he had stolen away from her father's house in Circassia. Sneed had to carry water to her chamber, and even the white monkey had not been such a surprise to him as this red and white beauty was when he saw her. It was an astonishment to find there were white monkeys. It was a still greater to find there were white men and women. He soon knew all about her, for the princess told him the whole story, which he in turn told at night to his friend the white monkey, for they slept together in a dog kennel. They wanted very much to help the princess, but it was a difficult matter for anyone, for this giant not only had a strong castle with high walls, but no one knew the secret of his locks, and he always kept his keys himself. Besides that, he had the winds in his service, and they had to go where he liked, and if anyone ran away, he was sure to be caught. The white monkey put one finger on the side of his nose, which was his way when he considered. He had already noticed that the stable door was always locked, and that the groom went there only once a day for an hour, and then, coming out, locked it again, and the butler carried the key up to the giant. He had asked the gardener why their master was so careful, and he answered that he had there the fastest horse in the world, and therefore always kept him locked up. As for the princess, he kept her locked up also, but always came and took the key from the lock himself, after the room had been put in order. The white monkey thought it all over, shook his head gravely, but told Sneed they would see about it next day. When morning came, they went out together, and the monkey picked up two small stones, one of which he gave to Sneed, and one he put in his own ear, having no other place for it. He told Sneed to put his in the lock of the princess's door as he passed through, carrying in the water. As for his own, he worked on the border of the garden next to the stable, and when the groom went in, he slipped it into the stable lock without being seen. When the groom came out, he tried in vain to lock the door, and being afraid to tell the giant, he withdrew the key, leaving the door unlocked but shut, and sent it as usual up to his master. He also could not lock the door of the princess's room when the time came, but after fuming and foaming for a while, and threatening to burn everyone alive, he put his boot-jack against it, which barked like a dog if anything disturbed it, and went off. When night came and all was dark and quiet, the princess, who had been warned by Sneed, put on her bonnet and gloves, took her little bag, and sat ready for a journey. The monkey brought the horse out, all saddled and bridled, through the open stable door, while Sneed crept upstairs to open that of the princess. But when he saw the boot-jack, he did not know what to do, for if he made it bark, it would wake the giant. So he went down again to consult his friend, the white monkey. 
He advised his trying his finger in the notch of the boot-jack where the boot goes, and the boot-jack would think it was his master's boot, and would shut the notch, and so would not bark. But you must not cry out, said he, no matter how much it hurts, until the princess gets downstairs. Then you can, and he will let go, and you must run or you will be left behind. So Sneed did, and when he put his finger in the notch, oh, how the boot-jack gripped him! But no sound did he make, only pushed the door open, and the beautiful princess started up, ran quickly downstairs, and jumped on the white horse. "'Let go!' screamed Sneed, for his finger was nearly pinched off. "'Bow-wow!' went the boot-jack at once, as loud as a cannon. Sneed scrambled downstairs, for the giant came rushing from his chamber, and in a moment they were all on the white horse and riding for life. The giant raved and stormed about, you may be sure, but it took a little time to discover how they had got off, before he let loose the winds to catch them. The horse ran so fast they could neither breathe nor see, but they heard a great noise behind, for the winds were coming, so many and so strong, that they blew everything to pieces as they went along. But before they could be caught or were dead for want of breath, they passed out of the giant's country and were safe. The king was so glad to get his beautiful daughter again that he gave the white monkey a nice house and garden all to himself. Sneed's finger came off, it had been so badly nipped, so the king gave him a gold finger and another nice house and garden all to himself. And they lived happily all their lives, for Sneed, having found how disagreeable it was to be hurt, never hurt anyone again. "'Which do they think handsomest in the black country?' asked Ethel. "'Black or white?' "'Black, I suppose. That is, a handsome black. "'Then why didn't the giant carry off a black princess?' End of chapter 7 Recording by Evan Smith